Good morning, everyone. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. And this is called Jesus Rejected at Nazareth. Sorry, my iPad's doing something weird. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here this morning. I love those words from Jesus, and we're going to be talking this morning about words and their meaning. Yesterday afternoon, I got to go see Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat with two of my sisters and one of my nephews, who's nine and did not appreciate it at all. Um, <laughs> But my older sister and I, that was actually the first musical we ever saw on Broadway. And um, I would have been 11 at the time. My grandma took us and my mom. And it was just life-changing for me to experience, you know, the stage and the singing, the music. My mom lost it because uh, Donny Osmond was the star. And (laughs) we were like, who's this old guy that you're losing it over? But it was great, it was a great musical, and my sister and I went home with, I don't know, in 1997, how we listened to music, tapes, probably. We had a tape of all the songs, and we would play it over and over again, and uh, we learned all the words. Of course, we did choreography with them. Um, And it was amazing, because 25 years later, I was sitting down in the theater, and I was like, I know all the words (laughs) to all the songs still. Um, They haven't left me. And um, I told my sister we should have found a sing-along because it's hurting me not to like sing out <laughs> with everyone, but uh, I cared about the people around me, so I, I restrained myself. But it's amazing how words can, can stick with us and how uh, we can tuck them away and uh, not think about them for years, but then they come out later on. And that's really what our series is doing. We're looking at the words that define us as a church, the words that define us as a community, and the words that have come together um, to make our values. So as we dive into that this morning, let's uh, come before God and quiet our hearts. God, you are good. We thank you that you love this broken world and that you love us 
broken people. So as we look at what you have to say to us this morning, may our eyes be opened. May we listen and by the power of your Holy Spirit, show us how we can respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the words that we heard just now that were spoken by Jesus, the words that start with the Spirit of the Lord is on me, this could be considered Jesus' inaugural address. You know, he's starting out in his ministry, and these are the words that he chooses to quote, words from the prophet Isaiah. If it were modern day and Jesus had an Instagram account, this would probably be what he would use as his, uh, as his tag to say, you know, this is what I'm all about. These are the words that describe me. Now, we like words here at Spring Garden like reconciliation and redemption. These are important words for us. They describe what God is doing in us. Words like grace, humble, and center. These words describe how we see God and God's nature. And words like creative, inclusive, and encouraging describe the type of community, the type of church that we want to be. We want others to see those qualities in us. And these are the words that define who we are and who we are becoming through the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. And there's two other words I want to talk about this morning before going into the value. The first word is woke. And probably most of us have heard this word in some capacity or another. And if you spend any time on the internet, you've definitely heard this word. It's February, and February is Black History Month, so uh, here's a little bit of black history for you. So I was trying to find out the origin of this word, and there were so many different accounts of where this word came from, this word woke. A lot of it had to do with um, activism in the African-American communities in the 60s and the 50s and the 40s. I found one account, though, that traced it back to the 30s in Jamaica, um, which I take that to be the correct origin because good things come from Jamaica. But this was a word that was used as people were um, trying to, to take back their freedom. Yes, they hadn't been enslaved for a long time, but they were still learning how to live in freedom. And the systems and the structures around them did not encourage this freedom. In fact, it was still very oppressive. So you had people rising up and encouraging people to to wake up, to open your eyes to what's going on around you, to stay woke. Now, as I mentioned before, this became uh, very popular in the civil rights movement in the US. Martin Luther King, he used this terminology, you know, stay awake to what's happening around you. You can't fall asleep. You need to be aware of what's going on. 50 years later, we see musicians using this word and the phrase stay woke coming out in songs to say, we need to be aware of what's going on around us, stay woke. The term has recently resurfaced, and recently I mean the last decade or so, as more light has been shed on police brutality in the black community. The way that 
people in the States, yes, but also in the UK and Canada and around the world, how systems are made to oppress black people in particular. And then the black community has taken this term, woke, and used it to describe other communities who are also being oppressed. It's describing communities who are victims of racist systems, not just racism against individuals, but systems that govern our people, govern our countries, and who see certain people as lower than others. So as I use this word woke this morning, that's what I'm referring to, referring to being aware of oppressive systems that perpetuate injustice and discrimination against communities that are marginalized. The other word I want to describe is holistic. And I think if you've been to a spa, um, you've heard this word. This is a very popular self-care word, right? The holistic care that we all need. And holistic simply means that the whole is more than just the sum of its parts, that we are interconnected beings. I minored in, uh, in health studies in university. I did psych and health studies for a bit, and we had to take uh, a class. I think it was called Social Aspects of Health. And I remember my classmate and I just getting a little bit annoyed at the repetition because all that we would learn was this, poverty affects health, poverty affects health. And we said, we know, we know. But of course they went into what that meant. And what it meant was that there are systems in place, that there is a lack of access for many people. So that depending on your ability to pay for things, depending on your background, the community you live in, you don't have a chance at being healthy, even though you might try hard. Um, it's not just about eating well and exercising well, and it's not just about not having a disease. There's so much more to it. And we're starting to see how this works in Canada right now. We're actually in a healthcare crisis. I didn't realize this, but I have a family doctor, and that actually puts me in a place of privilege. There are many people across the country who don't have a family doctor and don't have access to one. And because of that, when they have something wrong, they can't go to someone who knows them, someone who knows their medical history, they have to go to the ER. And oftentimes they're waiting for hours in the ER. Some people are even dying while they wait to be treated. This is a crisis. This is something that shouldn't be happening in a country where we value our healthcare. We love that we have free healthcare. And yet it's become a system that favors certain people and neglects others. So as we think about the word holistic and holistic care, it's a reminder that holistic means it's not just something that happens in one aspect of who we are. It's not just a body thing, it's not just a spirit thing, but it happens in every aspect of who we are, in our mental and physical and emotional and spiritual beings. And as we're thinking about mission, we're going to uh, look at what that means. So I'm going to get to the value now, and if uh, we have this slide, we can put it up for everyone to see. The value says this. We believe in a God who loves this broken world and wants to reconcile us to himself. 
Therefore, we are commissioned by God to go out into the world, meeting the holistic needs of the local and global community. God calls us to participate in a redemptive work that he has already initiated. In humility, we will partner with others to work alongside and chase after him. A lot of great words in there, a lot of very thoughtful words that went into that value. Thanks, Parsa, you can take it down now. So where do we start here? We start with God, God who loves this broken world. How do we know God loves our world? Well, we know because he sent his son, right? God sent his son down to, to this world to breathe in it, to live in it, to walk among people and to experience life as a human. And as Jesus comes down and as he grew up and he's getting ready to begin his earthly ministry, we hear these words from Luke 4. Words that got Jesus into a little bit of trouble. Now the people and in particular the leaders that existed at this time, they were hyper-religious, right? They loved their religion, they loved their laws. And we can't really blame them for that because they were given these laws by God as a way to be close to God, as a way to be in relationship with God. Unfortunately, they forgot that it was about relationship and they elevated these laws to a place that only God should occupy. And religion became more about observing the laws, observing the rules, and less about being in a relationship with a God who loved them. The image of God was distorted. And so we get to a place where Jesus comes, where God is walking among them, but they don't recognize him. They can't see who he is because they've equated God with something different, with rules and rituals and not with a person. For them, everything had become about the spiritual. The spiritual was the most important. Now, I know that in churches, we can be guilty of doing the same thing, right? We can make everything about spiritual matters and forget about everything else. During my time at Tyndale, I was heading out on a mission trip, and we had... um, a, t- a meeting for all the teams. So teams were going to Zambia, to Dominican, to India, and we spent a day, we all came together to do some uh, intercultural training. And the question was asked of each of us, well, what do you hope will happen on this trip? What is your expectation? And uh, I, I don't remember what answer I gave, but we'll say it was a great, a great spiritual answer, I'm sure. But I remember this one young man, uh, he was headed to India, his response was, well, I hope to see 250 souls saved. That's, that's what I want, and that will be a good mission trip for me. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a, that's a lot of people. And I don't think that this is a bad desire. Obviously, we want people to come to Christ. We want to see people uh, find salvation. But it is a very narrow focus of what mission is, and of how God uses people. You know, we can say that evangelism is only about getting to heaven, only about conversion. 
this is only part of the truth. This is not a holistic view of mission. For one thing, it doesn't account for all the different ways that people encounter Jesus. Sometimes it's through hearing a verbal presentation of the gospel. I'd say usually it's not. Usually they more experience Christ through care, through listening, not through going through the step-by-step, this is salvation, say the prayer, and you're in. And the other thing, too, is that with conversions, that's not something that we are supposed to do. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So coming in saying, I'm going to convert this many people, we're setting ourselves up to fail because, again, that's not a human thing that's done. That's a spiritual thing that happens. So our part in the participation that God invites us into is to share the gospel in a way that addresses the needs of those we are caring for, of those we are ministering to, of those we are serving. And we're to do that whether those needs are spiritual or physical or emotional. Now, historically, mission that is focused solely on the spiritual aspect has actually allowed injustice to continue in communities. And that happens because, in a way, it's like heaven is all that matters. So if you can just guarantee you're getting to heaven, you're good. And we won't worry about what's happening now because it'll be great later on. Again, it's a narrow view of what God came to do. I think, though, before we get more into mission, if we want to have a holistic view of what mission is, we need to have a holistic view of what sin is. If you think of sin, or if I think of how I grew up learning about sin, if you had asked me then, you know, what is, what is sin? I would say, well, sin is the bad things I do. So I need to confess those bad things. Um, you know, if I'm cheating or lying or pushing my sister, these are my sins. And I will ask forgiveness, and God will forgive me, and, uh, you know, hopefully one day I'll be free from all those temptations. And yes, sin does refer to, to any action that goes against who God is and against his will. But as I grew up, I realized that sin is a lot more complicated than just the bad things that I do. Sin is actually an active force that exists in our world, a force that is directly in opposition to God. It's ingrained not just in our hearts, but in the structures and the systems that govern our societies. Now we read in Genesis that when sin entered the world, that it affected everything. It affected creation, including the ground, but it affected us and our bodies and our relationships. It's not as simple as narrowing it down to someone did something bad, so bad things are happening. It's a force that's all around us and a force that we can't defeat on our own. Sin affected us in a very holistic way. So coming to Christ then, it's not just about confessing your sins and receiving forgiveness. That is a part of it, and I think it's an important part of it. But coming to Christ is about saying yes to participating in God's redemptive work saying that, yes, you're getting on board with what God is doing. 
Coming to Christ is about acting justly and loving mercy, mercy and walking humbly with your God. It's not about being in or out, and Greg spoke about that a few weeks ago with one of our values, that we see this as, are we moving continuously toward God? It's not about crossing the bridge and finally, yay, I'm in. But it's a journey, a journey that people are going to be at different places on. And that's okay, as long as we're moving toward God, that is the desire, that's what we want. So for disciples, and disciples on mission, the words that should govern our actions are the ones that Jesus spoke. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the, Lord, the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is what mission is about. And it's important to notice how this starts. It starts with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is on Jesus as he's speaking these words. And he recognizes that the Spirit is the one who will begin that mission, initiate that mission. So for us, as we think about mission, it's important to remember that it's not something that we go out and do in our own powers. Yes, we take our skills and our abilities and our gifts, but that's not what drives it. It's the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit in us that drives mission and guides us as we seek to do mission. Well, the mission that we are called to participate in, it's something that God started when Jesus spoke these words. It, it started long ago. We don't come and say, all right, I'm going to start mission in my neighborhood. I'm going to bring God to the neighborhood. God is already here. God is already at work. So as we seek to do mission, we look, we open our eyes, and we say, where is God already at work around us? At Spring Garden, we work with organizations, we partner with them, and we look for organizations who are established in the community, who are doing mission and doing work that we want to join. Some of our partners are Youth Unlimited we work with, we work with NeighborLink North York in the community, and we work alongside them because they have established relationships. They have resources that we don't. And rather than setting up our own thing, we want to come alongside and say, well, how can we support you in what you're already doing? In humility, how can we work with you? That's one of the reasons we're hosting a newcomer's tea at the end of the month for Ukrainians who have fled the war in their country and are arriving in Toronto. Now, this is something that NeighborLink has already been doing for the past several months. They've been praying for the community, and out of that, they started hosting teas so people could come and get connected to each other, to other Ukrainians, but also to people that are established in the community, people who can sit with them and listen to uh, their broken English, people that can show them the love of Christ. This is important. This is a way that we bring peace into the community a way of bringing peace to people who have been displaced, and that is important, gospel-sharing work. 
I used to walk by this, uh, this art piece a lot. It's uh, up in Midtown. It's outside a church, and it's uh, a picture of the church building, but below that it says, Seek the peace of the city, for when the city prospers, everyone prospers. I love this verse. It's from the prophet Jeremiah. And really it echoes a theme that ran throughout all the books of the prophets, this desire to have peace, a time when peace will come, a time of shalom will be established. And shalom is this great Hebrew word. It's translated as peace, yes. I think it's hello, goodbye, and peace. But the peace it refers to is this wholeness, this return to to restoring things, to establishing something as whole. So the prophets weren't just talking about an end to conflict or an end to war or the absence of these things. But as they talked about shalom, they were referring to a time when God would make everything whole. A Messiah would come and usher in this new era. But you can't just declare peace. It reminds me of this uh, episode of The Office where Michael Scott goes bankrupt. And so he just yells out, I declare bankruptcy. And they're like, no, no, you can't just declare it. <laughs> like, you have to do paperwork. Just like that, we can't just declare, we're here. We're bringing God, we're bringing the Holy Spirit. We declare peace over this neighborhood. There are things involved in actually doing this. There are actions. And one of those actions that we see Jesus exemplified is to root out the injustice that exists, to root out the wrongs that are in society. So this is where Jesus begins with, with this injustice, acknowledging that there's a problem. This is where Jesus is woke, where the others are not. Jesus is speaking out against, about poverty, against prisoners, against oppression, his mission was to the least of these, a phrase that describes those who are marginalized and living under oppressive systems, systems that will degrade and devalue and destroy human life. Jesus didn't just come to earth with a sympathetic pat on the arm to say, it's okay, you guys are gonna get to heaven now. Just wait, it'll be really good in heaven. We'll just tough this one out. No, instead, Jesus was in the here and the now. He was present in suffering. He was aware of injustice, and he took steps to transform those systems, to call out those who were perpetuating those systems. So yes, Jesus was woke, and he invited others into that awakening. Not just for people's souls, but for the good of the whole person. Let's just look at one example from this, from Jesus' ministry on earth, of how he cared for the whole person and not just for their spiritual, um, their spirits. So in the Gospels, and I think this is in almost all the Gospels, we're given the story of a blind man, a blind man who wants to see. This man has a physical disability. He's not coming to Jesus because he wants salvation necessarily, but the disciples try to make it into something spiritual. 
They say, oh, he's got a physical disability. Well, someone must have sinned. Who was it? Was it him? Was it his parents? What spiritual wrong caused this disability? And Jesus says, no one sinned. And then in what might be one of the grossest accounts of healing, he spits on the ground to make mud. And he takes this mud and he puts it on the man's eyes. And he says, now go and wash. And the man does this. He goes with his eyes covered in this mud made from Jesus' saliva. And he sees. He's healed. He experiences a physical healing. And interestingly enough, that leads to his own spiritual awakening. As people are questioning him and asking, what happened? Weren't you the guy who was blind? He says, I was blind, but now I can see. And later on, he comes around and says, Jesus, because of this, I believe that you are Lord. I believe that you are who you say you are. And I love this account because Jesus includes creation. Even though it's a bit gross, he includes mud in his healing. The redemption of the man's body, the redemption of the man's soul, the redemption of creation as something that is used to heal a long-time disability. Jesus is showing us what mission can look like when you meet a specific need that a person has. In verse 19 of Luke 4, Jesus finishes with words that uh, it's time to proclaim the year of the Lord, or the year of the Lord's favor. Another name for this was the year of Jubilee. It was something that was uh, outlined in Leviticus 25, and every 50 years there would be this year of radical restoration. So, so debts would be forgiven and slaves would be released. If you had these properties, you could get those properties back. Fortunately, there's not too much evidence to suggest that this was actually practiced. But people saw this as something that would be ushered in in the future, down the road. Not today. We're not going to do it this 50 years. But it will happen at some point. It was a future hope that they had. And Jesus, as he's reading these ancient holy words from Isaiah, as he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, he looks out to the crowd and he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. This is happening today, not in the distant future. It's not a hope anymore. It's happening now. They could no longer put off this radical restoration. Jesus was calling them out and challenging them to start today. And many were upset by his words, but many jumped on board with him. And they said, yes, we want to be a part of this. We want to participate in this mission. This sounds amazing. Of course it sounds amazing. And so Jesus' disciples, they continued to walk with him, and they lived out this mission. They lived out this shalom, bringing shalom everywhere they went. And we need to be reminded of that too, that salvation, it's not just about a spiritual thing that will help us down the road. It's a today thing. God is calling us to this mission 
today. So what can we do? I think the first thing is that we should ask God to open our eyes to what's already happening around us, to the work that he is already doing among us. This might be in our families, what's happening in our families, what's happening in our church, in our neighborhoods, and in our community. And how can we join in that? How can we support that work? Sometimes it will mean sharing the gospel with words. At Spring Garden, we use the term sharing God's story. Other times it means showing God's care through hosting teas for newcomers or playing board games with seniors. Sometimes it will mean giving food to someone who is hungry. Other times it's just simply sitting and listening and showing someone you care. However this manifests in us and in our community, we want to be doing it in a way that seeks wholeness for the person that we are helping, wholeness for the community, in a way that seeks radical restoration, in a way that will lead to abundant life. I want to share a story with you to finish about what this could look like and how God challenged me on it. Around the time I was uh, heading back to work after being on leave with Miles, so I think he would have been about 10 months, I really wanted to go on a vacation because you know, I was gonna be committed to, to work and not as flexible. And I just said, oh, I just, I wanna go somewhere, I wanna have a vacation and, and relax. Um, it was a little bit complicated because with adoption, you don't get papers until uh, a year after the adoption is finalized. So we didn't have passports or anything like that. As I was talking with Bruce, he was like, you know what, work is just crazy right now. I can't make it happen. So I thought, okay, maybe we'll do like a, a Canada trip. Miles and I can go to Vancouver or something. But that just wasn't working out either. So I was, I don't say distraught, <laughs> upset. So I was like, oh, nothing's working out. So I prayed about it. I said, God, I really, I really want a vacation. I want to go somewhere um, before I get back into ministry. So I'm going to leave it with you. So I did. I had low expectations. Um, and one night we were at uh, our friend's house. We had a small group we were a part of, and we were praying for each other and sharing requests. And the hostess, she said, I want you guys to pray for me. I'm going to be traveling to visit my family. They live in Hawaii. And I'm like, that's it. <laughs> that's my answer to prayer. So I said, uh, definitely pray for you. Can I come? And she's like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, not thinking I was meaning it, but uh, just so you all know, I don't joke about Hawaii. That's not something I would joke about. I take that very seriously. So the next day, I looked at tickets, and um, I had this, this flight credit that I had meant to use the week Miles was born, but had to cancel a trip. So I had it sitting there, and I was like, all right, I can actually book this ticket to Hawaii, it's gonna cost me like $100. We'll be staying with our family. That won't cost anything, this is all working out. Um, oh, right, I have a baby. It's <laughs> like, okay, Bruce is working full time. What do I do with, with my baby? So I called my sister, 
At the time, she had five kids. And um, I said, you know, I had this chance to go on a trip. Would you mind taking care of Miles for a week? And she's like, sure. She's like, I won't notice. Like, just bring him over, drop him off. Um, he'll be great. So, so I did. I, I arranged that with her, and I booked my ticket. Um, <laughs> called the person who, you know, had asked for the prayer request. And I was like, all right, I'm ready. And she's like, you were serious? <laughs> like, yes, of course. I want to come with you. And she's like, okay, let me just check with my family. And it's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. I'm sure they'll be fine. I won't be a problem. You won't notice me at all. So um, in the midst of a huge snowstorm, I took Miles to my sister's house. Uh, my sisters, you've seen them. They look like me. He had no trouble. He was just like, yeah, other kids to play with. Awesome. Don't even like cry or anything, which is fun. <laughs> I headed back to Toronto, got on an airplane, landed in Hawaii, and she greeted me with LA, and it was a great trip. Really cool way to see how God answers prayer, but the story isn't actually about me wanting to go to Hawaii, because I feel like that might be a little bit, I don't know, not the best way to tell a story about mission. So as I get there, we sit down together, and we sit down to eat um, away from the house, and then she just told me about what was going on in her family. She was having a really hard time. And it turned out she needed a pastor there to support her, to care for her, to show her love. I thought, you're awesome, God. You took my desire for a trip, which, you know, I'd say somewhat trite. It wasn't the most important thing, but use that to, to support one of your children who needed someone to sit and cry with and talk to. Because God cares about our emotions. God cares about our relationships. He wants to see us restored to relationship with family. And she told me later, she was like, yeah, that was really like, you know, bold of you to just come on my trip. <laughs> but I'm so glad you did. Because I really needed your support and I didn't know it until you were there. Probably not how we would go about planning to do mission, if we're thinking strategically, if we're thinking only of the spiritual. And yet, that's how God works. So again, I encourage you to, to pray about this. You know, we have ways that you can engage with mission with Spring Garden. But pray about how God is calling you to engage, whether with the church, with your family. Maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised by a trip to Hawaii. Probably not. More likely, you'll find that God is already working around you where you are. And that your involvement and engagement is more simple than you think it needs to be. So we're going to say our value together, and I invite you um, to join with me, and I'll wait till Parsa gets it back up on the screen, and we'll do that.
just giving you time to think about whether you want to say it or not. Okay, here we go. We believe in a God who loves this broken world and wants to reconcile us to himself. Therefore, we are commissioned by Christ to go out into the world, meeting the holistic needs of the local and global community. God calls us to participate in a redemptive work that he has already initiated. In humility, we will partner with others to work alongside and chase after him. Amen.